1: Across
2: the Gulf
3: South, it's seven a.m.
2: Time to wake up on Capital Community Media.
4: Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Wednesday morning. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with David Dawson and Johnny Aver. Hey guys. Good morning.
5: Good morning.
6: Hey Johnny. <laughs> hey buddy. It's a. Uh... It is a Wednesday coming day because that's our gospel. Uh, that's, that's the question: Wednesday coming? But it's right. a good, good to be back with
5: you. <laughs> with you guys last week. It's, good. Yes, it's, it's yeah. good to have you back. You've been out uh, playing golf, uh, representing oh, you know, Catholic Community Media, right? Yeah. Uh, some people
6: just have to, you know, suffer and do their duty. Yeah, I know to that's tough. That club. Thanks. thanks. It's for, so bad. I, I, thanks for working I that hard father, for us. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, it was bad. We had to have a confessional there for all the golfers coming off. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, you that's did. where you need it. <laughs> <laughs> no, all, all kind of great events this time of year, lots of fundraisers. And so we, uh, we hope all those are successful. Yeah. But uh, let us get our day started off with prayer. We're going to remember, we're asking the intercession of St. Antonio de Ana Galvan this morning. So stay tuned for his story as we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Lord, we come to you this morning in gratitude and in thanksgiving, asking for only one thing, the grace to do your will so as to bring glory to your holy name. Lord, please today open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive you in the most ordinary of events and people. Give us the patience when the world is not patient, mercy when the world seeks vengeance, humility when pride seems to be celebrated, and charity when love is distorted. May we use the gifts you've given to each of us to prepare for your return, and may you find us acceptable on that glorious day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Beautiful prayer.
4: Amen. Yes. Thank you so much, Johnny. Well, our saint of the day is Saint Antonio de Santa Ana Galvan, we Very will learn good. more about Very this good. saint later on in today's show. Well, we've, we've been practicing. Practiced and <laughs> yeah. just wondering who's going to say it. So, all I'm just going to say is pray
5: for us. That's all I have to say. So, pray uh, for us. Yeah.
4: Yes. I actually don't know much about this saint, so I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more later on in today's show. Yep. But at seven after, we have Johnny's Gospel Reflection that will be coming up. Stay tuned. Johnny always has some wonderful insights on today's reading. In 18 minutes, Peter Finney joins us. He is the editor of the Clarion Herald, the official Catholic newspaper of the Archdiocese of New Orleans, and today he will update us on what you'll be finding in this week's issue in the Archdiocese. In 35 minutes, Joseph Heschmeyer joins us. He's a Catholic author, and he's talking about his book called The Eucharist is Really Jesus as we continue along in the Eucharistic revival. Uh, We'll be talking to Joe about this. And in 48 minutes, Dr. David Whitten joins us. He's a professor of theology over at Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University in Baton Rouge, also known as Fran Yu. And he will be joining us for our Catholic 101 segment. Today we're talking about something quite interesting, and I'm sure a question that we've all kind of maybe asked ourselves at one point in time. What happens to babies who pass away before they are baptized?
5: Right. Yeah. What what
4: happens? Yeah. Maybe it's a question we've always wanted to ask and we're too afraid to ask, or uh-huh. something we maybe already know the answer to. Well, Dr. Whitten will dive deeper into this question and tell us the answer. So, and real quick, stay tuned. We are giving away the last two tickets for the Fullness of Truth Conference. So stay with us. We'll be talking about this throughout the show today. You might want to stay close to our Facebook Live video. That is Wake Up Wednesday to win these tickets. You're going to have to comment. I want the tickets in the comment section. So last day to win the last two tickets. Stay with us. We have your Gospel and Reflection coming up right after the break. It is five past the hour on Wake Up.
3: today's gospel is taken from Luke chapter 12. Jesus said to his disciples, Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. Then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, Who then is the faithful and prudent steward whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly I say to you he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the men-servants and the maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour, and will punish the servant severely, and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will, but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will, shall be beaten severely." and the servant who is ignorant of his master's will, but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating, shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. Thank
6: you, Father Chris Decker. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. Well, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, I've been given a lot. This this is pretty sobering yeah. and, uh, pa- <laughs> uh, passage, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. you know, um, this this uh, the greater the gifts uh, and the greater the knowledge, the more is expected, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. There's so much here. We see purgatory in this par- parable, um, but there's so much more. You know, there's m- l- multiple levels of meaning here. So let's dive in because certainly the Lord is talking about His second coming, but In judgment, but he's also talking about his first coming and how he comes to us even now, Mm -hmm. every moment of the day, and especially preparing for our own death. So let's dive in. So, so the first thing that hits us is this: we should have this ardent desire of being, of hoping that the Lord comes and soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if, on the other hand, you know, when we think about that, there's some kind of fear or something, or or trembling sets in, then like a thief breaking in, says the Lord, then then something is wrong. Our barometer should kind of kick in a little bit and say, what are we afraid of? Mm -hmm. Because if we're not, if we're afraid of death, maybe we're not living life to the full that the Lord is asking us to live. I mean, think about it. He trusts us here. He trusts us. That says a lot that we should trust ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. So here's kind of some, I'm gonna give some sayings today. Maybe some of this will hit home. So we lock the doors against evil but your best defense is to give Jesus your keys. Okay. And here's another one. <laughs> here's another one. Leave all your shame in the confessional. You know.
3: Yeah, yes, and, yes, and yes.
6: That, and, that, yeah. and that leads to the second point. Here's a saying. Hope already owns what it seeks to behold. And what do we mean by that? Hmm. You know, hope has substance. It has a reality. It has a now to it. And the most powerful proof of this is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is hope risen from the dead, now given to us. We taste heaven, we experience that, we, we, we uh, scent, have a sense of the aroma of eternal life every time when we receive this, uh, our Lord. You know, uh, think about that, uh, there were, you may remember that movie called Hope Floats. Um, well, hope floated out of the tomb, but it now, lives and feeds us and gives us life so this is i think what jesus is, is alluding to to his disciples about having that responsibility of distributing the food the the eucharist he's speaking of his body blood soul and divinity because from the eucharist everything else flows properties he says works of mercy and all of that so i was thinking about this guys you know how does that mean we should actually live there's a saying, you have to be ready for everything. But I think the right saying is we need to be ready for a certain someone, and that's the mm-hmm. Lord. With the Eucharist in our limbs, you know, we pray that every sense that we have is attuned to the risen Christ. Darkest places, every person we meet, so that when we see the world, we see the world not in our own eyes, but in, as the Lord sees it, as God sees it. And that's all the difference in the world in terms of happiness. So it so it comes to these questions, you know, what should and could we be doing with our life now such that if the Lord comes today, whether it's the fi- the end of the ages or it's our own life that we can hold up our high our head high and, and smile to greet him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love these some of these things. This is this in the end we shall get what we served. You know, obviously we're going to get what we deserve, but we get Not what deserve, we serve. but
5: served. I got you. Okay. We,
6: <laughs> we get what we serve. I like that. And we can't serve mm. with clenched hands. And, and this is the path mm. uh, to the freedom of the soul, to give freely. And to be free, we must serve him who frees. And, and finally, I want to kind of wrap up with some of this. Um, this is one of the many passages that puts to rest the whole notion of our works and our deeds our actions don't affect our salvation mm-hmm. and as well as the idea of a purgatory all of that that a purgatory isn't scriptural because here it is this idea of once saved always saved is mm-hmm. a dangerous invention you know of the reformation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know because think about it this way if not persevering in charity and duty could affect the salvation of his disciples then we better take heed right
5: yeah no you're I right mean, <laughs>
6: I mean, how we live out our faith, what we do in our lives, how we minister to the least of the world and stay faithful to the end, that's our witness. So we can think about it this way as we kind of think about that that day. If we've been given particular gifts, what use will they be in the grave? Mm-hmm. I mean, spend it all on love. Give it all up on love. Live the life the Lord has given us to the fullest extent that glorifies his name. And then on that day, we can hold up our head and, and hopefully we'll, we'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the last one here is, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, there's an old movie called Quo Vadis, In uh, it was made in 1951, and it dealt with the persecution of Christians in ancient Rome. It starred Deborah Kerr, Deborah Kerr, yeah, and,
5: and uh, Peter Houston right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, Peter I did see that, that movie.
6: Yes, yes. So I was reading it and said, one day a reporter asked Deborah Kerr, she, on the side during the filming. He said, "Won't, won't, weren't you afraid when the lions rushed at you in the arena?" And to that, the actress Deborah Kerr said, "Not at all. I'd read the script." I knew I'd be rescued. Ah, that's a
5: good how we should be. Yes, (laughs) we know we
6: be not afraid, says the Lord. He has overcome the world. All right, wow. So let's hold our heads up high. Let's do his duty to do our our duty today with all that he's entrusted with us.
5: Indeed.
6: Well, let's speaking of that, we're going to hear about people doing that. Uh, We're going to have Peter Finney up next, he is with the Claire and Harold tell us what's happening in the archdiocese it is order past the hour you've tuned your heart to the truth
0: this is franciscan media saint of the day for october 25th today we celebrate saint antonio de santana galvan born near san paulo brazil in 1739 antonio briefly entered a jesuit seminary before deciding on the franciscans Following his ordination, he served as a preacher and confessor. Within a few years, he was appointed confessor to a group of area nuns. He went on to co-found a new community of women religious under the patronage of Our Lady of the Conception of Divine Providence. The premature death of the First Superior caused Padre Antonio to take on more responsibilities for the new congregation, especially for building a convent and church adequate for their growing numbers. At his beatification ceremony in 1998, Pope John Paul II praised Blessed Antonio for working on behalf of women religious and for dedicating himself with love and devotion to the afflicted, the suffering, and the slaves of his era in Brazil. His authentically Franciscan faith, lived and spent in serving his neighbor, should be an encouragement to imitate this man of peace and charity, the Pope concluded." There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. It is 19 past
4: the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Johnny Aver and David Dawson. Our first guest today is Peter Finney. Peter is the editor and general manager of the Clarion Herald the official Catholic newspaper of the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Good morning, Peter. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Hey, Gabby, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
4: Well, let's jump right on into this week's issue with the first story you were discussing about a special gathering of men and women religious in the archdiocese, and they had a special collaboration with college age students to kind of give them a behind the scenes of what they do. Can you tell us a little bit more about this story?
1: Yeah, it was a great idea. The the new uh, director of the Office of Religious is Sacred Heart Brother Ron Travers. And uh, he said he tried this in other dioceses where uh, to kind of gather the religious in one place for for mass and then have some fellowship. But then the other aspect of it was to kind of uh, invite college-age students to kind of listen to a couple of very two or three very brief kind of testimonies from uh, different young religious men and women. And uh, it it happened at Holy Name of Jesus Church uh, last Sunday. And uh, it was great. They had 77 uh, men and women religious uh, came up, and they processed in, and they sat kind of toward the front. And then they set up Little booths uh, at the end of mass, and they had they had pizza and and soft drinks, and and mm-hmm. just kind of talked about uh, you know what has God meant. To, to them in, in their lives and and how do they make a decision uh for a religious vocation and uh one of the, one of the uh the comments uh was from uh, john guerra who is a scholastic uh, with the jesuits and he talked about the importance he he kind of, he just found the importance of reading the gospel uh that, that really spoke to him reading one gospel all the way through and letting and letting god's word soak into his heart he said it it really it changed his mm-hmm. his whole perspective changed his life so Uh, that was one kind of idea. And all these people were in their 20s and 30s. So it was a really good witness uh, to to these college students.
4: Wow. And what a wonderful opportunity and so relevant. Uh, We need more vocations, uh, especially in our listening area and around our country. So this is great to to answer that call. Uh, So thank you so much for covering that, Peter. A wonderful story we'll check out. Well, actually, All Saints Day is next week, which... Blew my mind because I I thought November was just two months away, but it's not. Uh, Tell us about what the Archdiocese is doing for All Saints Day.
1: Well, you know, in New Orleans, All Saints Day is really like, it's like the Super Bowl for, for the, for the Archdiocese yeah. and cemeteries. I mean, it's, it's where people go, and they really, if they have not visited their loved ones, you know, and they, 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 they make the effort to go and pray uh, at, at the gravesite of their loved ones. And the Archbishop writes a column about what All Saints Day means, and really, he said, really the focus of the day, the, the prayer, it's an opportunity for, for all of us to thank God for the, the, the devout lives of the saints, and, and ask them to pray mm-hmm. for us and, and continue to inspire us by their example. And he said, really, you know, it's not just the, the, the recognized saints in heaven, you know, all of us, all Catholics, all Christians, are called to be saints. And, uh, and we are, you know, we are, and, and saints are people with flaws, you know, mm-hmm. people uh, don't, uh, they, they don't live perfect lives, but, uh, you know, these are people who live ordinary lives but have extraordinary love for God and for others. And Mm -hmm. so the Archbishop is stressing that, a call to holiness uh, to to all Catholics, uh, especially on All Saints Day, as we remember our our beloved. Mm -hmm.
4: Yes, and the Catholic schools just uh, have wonderful celebrations, All Saints Day. You see the kids dressing up, and it's just a wonderful time to really reflect and to learn more about different saints and also to learn more about the wonderful saints-to-be that are right in our own yes. backyard from New Orleans. Uh, such a special place as well for them. Thank you so much for that, Peter. Looking forward to learning a little bit more and attending. You have a special section called Eternal Life in this week's Clarion Herald. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: Yes, we do this annually around uh, All Saints Day. And, and really, uh, it's, it's really a good resource because it gives people uh, the uh, schedule for All Saints Day Masters and all of the tombs, the, the graves all around uh, the archdiocese, so we have that list, and then we have just a number of uh, other stories about what's going on with the uh, uh, it, it, there's a big story about an effort to restore tombs uh, in St Louis cemetery number no. two oh, wow. and they're starting with mm. uh, the uh, the society tombs society crafts. Uh, uh, the, the craftspeople who were buried uh, in the society tombs, which is kind of because there's been really no ownership for many for many decades, uh, it, it's really in kind of bad shape, and the, and a tree is kind of growing up through the tomb. Well, the interesting thing about it, they're not only restoring it, but they're they're working with the New Orleans Master Crafts Guild, and and they're getting interns to come learn kind of secrets about how to how to properly restore and use plaster, and and how to how to do things with your hands, mm-hmm. and so you're not. Restoring tombs, you're helping uh, apprentices learn a great trade, which is a high-paying trade. And so, it's uh, they they hope to restore uh, several tombs over the next year and a half. And uh, they're starting; they've they've already started already with uh, with one in uh, St. Louis Cemetery Number Two. So, uh, it's a great program, and uh, so it's uh, it's it's a good resource to see that
5: section. Peter, coming into town, oh, it's David, by the way, coming into town, I see those beautiful, beautiful cemeteries, you know, off the interstate. It, it's just an incredible sight. That's really unique to New Orleans only, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. In fact, uh,
1: David, they they, uh, they had the National Cemetery, Catholic Cemeteries Conference uh, about a, a month and a half ago in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and and they had it at uh, Our Lady Guadalupe Church, and they walked over. Uh, to St. Louis, uh, number number one, I believe, after Mass, and the people were just struck by yeah. the architecture and every, it, all, all the things that we do here that are different from from other places. And uh, New Orleans is a is a special place. Yeah. And as you mentioned on the interstate, you can yeah you can see everything as you're driving on the elevated interstate. You can see the tombs, uh, you know, off to your right.
5: Yeah, just beautiful, just beautiful. And I, I just think that's mm-hmm. such a gift that we have. that's that makes that's yet yeah, yeah. another thing that makes it uh, New Orleans unique. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So much history, Mm -hmm. and Peter. Another thing that makes New Orleans unique. It seems like every week there's a different church parish that is celebrating either their 300th anniversary, (laughs) their 200th anniversary. But Saint Teresa of Avila is celebrating 175 years. That is incredible.
1: I I I may have lost you, but I think uh, Saint Teresa. (laughs) Yeah, Saint Teresa of Avila celebrated 175 years of its history uh, with a special mass. Uh, a, a couple of weekends ago, and they, uh, they're in the Lower Garden District and really have been an anchor in that community. Uh, and and there's, there's a famous statue just within steps of the Church of Margaret Hargery, who founded a, a Catholic orphanage at that time for, for unwed mothers, and, and there were a lot of orphans uh, in the 1800s, and she was a woman uh, who, who helped uh, build this orphanage. And I think it was really the first statue to a woman In in New Orleans in New Orleans history, so uh, and 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 so that's all part of the parish history, and uh, they've they've done a great job, you know, keeping that uh, that parish vibrant, and uh, there were a lot of people at the mass, so it was a really good celebration.
5: And she's Irish. I'm just saying, you know, is she? (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) indeed. (laughs) (laughs)
4: That's so great. Lots, lots of things uh, in this issue. And let's talk about this one. Archbishop Eamon comforted families at the annual mass for victims and survivors of violence. I'm so glad this is happening. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about this story?
1: Sure. Uh, He's done this annually uh, for now for more than 10 years, and uh, it's a a great chance for uh, the, the, the family members of, of those who have lost loved ones through violence <laughs> to come. They process into the St. Louis Cathedral, uh, with, usually with pictures of their loved ones who have been, uh, mm-hmm. killed through violence. And, and they place them at the altar, the, that Mary's altar to the left of the main altar at the cathedral. Uh, and the Archbishop just said, you know, we are, we're, we're praying for you for, for, for the survivors, for, for peace and for reconciliation and to, and for, to, to be able to, uh, the past, some of the, it'll never, it'll never go away," he said. But to to have that, uh, have God's peace, and uh, he's, you know, it's. It was really one one of the one of the fond thing. The, the really the the emotional things was there were two pictures. Uh, Father Otis Young from mm-hmm. Covington, uh, yeah. the pastor who was murdered, along with Ruth Pratt's the the longtime pastoral associate at Saint Peter in Covington. Mm-hmm. Uh, their pictures were displayed. On on the uh, on the table, and and the Archbishop, you know, certainly talked about all victims, but uh, it was a very poignant reminder of just within our own archdiocese, you know, that that tragic event. Mm-hmm.
4: Right. Yeah, my goodness. Well, and you were also covering the death of Father Doug. Is it Bra- how do you say his last name? Peter
1: Br- Brower. He, he's one. I tell you what, he was one of my favorite priests. I didn't see him a lot, but he was he was on Facebook all the time. He oh. would like every story that the Clarion Herald ever posted. <laughs> he he,
3: oh, he right. was you known as,
1: as the Clarion Herald's top fan, and uh, with, yes. he's just he for thirty seven years, chaplain at Turo. He he died. He passed away at eighty six. He had some physical problems late late in his life, but he continued to this ministry. He always said, "I give thanks to God, no matter what has has happened in my life, or you know, little little uh, troubles with my health. I give thanks to God because this this is where I should be to help people." He told a chilling story about praying with a woman for for, for many weeks who was in a coma, and one day he goes, it, she was non responsive. He went into her hospital room. She was sitting up with, talking to the nurse, and, and he said, You don't remember me, but I came in, and pr- I've been praying with you. Just, and the lady told him, I remember you. You came in every day, and you prayed with oh, me. Oh, wow. And so she, oh she was, although she was in the coma, she knew that she was being prayed for by him. Wow. He said that story gave him chills. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, it's an incredible mm-hmm. story about the, wow. the power of prayer.
5: Beautiful. Thank you. Absolutely.
4: Peter Finney, editor of the Clarion Herald. Thank you so much for being with us, Peter.
5: Thank you
1: so much, Gabby. Appreciate it.
4: All right, pick up your copy of the Clarion Herald at church this weekend in the Archdiocese of New Orleans or go to clarionherald.org to read all of these stories and more. Oh, my goodness, stay with us. It is half past the hour on Wake Up. I'm
6: pretty past the hour. So. Happy that you've joined us, spread the word about Catholic Radio. All of you in RCIA, OCIA, have a great place to tune in learn about our faith. One of those things we talk about is the Eucharist, how appropriate. And you know, if you've been listening to Catholic Radio for a while, the name Joe Heschmeyer is going to be very familiar to you, Mm. and we're really pleased this morning to have Joe join us this morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, good to have you. I understand we've, we're going to talk about your new book, The Eucharist Is Really Jesus. So so let's get philosophical right off the bat here. The Eucharist is really Jesus. What do you mean by real? Because these days, uh, if anyone thinks it's really Jesus, that's good. But if uh, you don't think it's Jesus, then he's not. It seems to be quite subjective. What hmm. say you in, in this book?
7: Yeah. Uh, so I, I give a couple examples to kind of illustrate what That means, because it's easy to get lost in the the theological language of, you know, transubstantiation, substance, accidents, all that. And so I use a couple, I think, simple examples, and one of them was actually from a a little girl who was preparing for her First Communion. And the priest asked her her understanding of of the Eucharist. And she said, uh, pointing to the crucifix, that looks like Jesus, but isn't. And then she pointed to the tabernacle and said, the Eucharist doesn't look like Jesus, but is. Hmm. And I think that's a really profound and really simple kind of explanation of what it is we mean. This is not Mm -hmm. a, you know, it's real presence if you want it to be. Either the bread and wine turns into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, or it doesn't. Mm. And the Catholic claim is that it does, and, and there's a whole lot of reasons to believe that.
6: Yeah, let's talk about that. How ancient is this belief that this truly is Jesus transformed? I mean, did the Reformation unearth some old manuscript or find some old historical document <laughs> or something that says, "Oh, it was always symbolic," and that the church invented this idea, or or what? What's the what's the ancient truth here?
7: Yeah, it's a good question. Well, you, you mentioned you know the reformers like did they dig up some ancient manuscripts? And the history there is actually really fascinating. So the the brief answer is this is what 2,000 years of Christians have always believed. We find this in the biblical evidence John 6, the Last Supper, St. Paul's discourses in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. And then you also find it in the earliest Christian writings we have outside of the Bible. So Ignatius of Antioch, one of the disciples of the Apostle John, is incredibly clear about this point, And he's writing maybe 107, about seven years after the Apostle has died and he talks about how you can't have anything to do with the Gnostics because they don't believe that the Eucharist is really the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Uh And it's a shocking kind of claim. He is saying don't even regard them as fellow Christians because they deny the real presence. Uh That was just taken for granted as something all Christians believed in and understood. So you mentioned the Reformers. John Calvin was convinced that this must be a forgery, that there was no way that you would find someone this Catholic (laughs) this early on. And so he's really dismissive. Now, in in Calvin's defense at the time during the Reformation, there had been all sorts of of documents that people had believed were real that turned out to be forgeries. You know, the early Middle Ages was not a great time in terms of document verification. And so Mm -hmm. I understand why he thought it was a forgery. It's also just so incredibly Catholic. Every other paragraph, he seems to be saying, obey your bishop, believe in the Eucharist, you know, all of these things that just sound like incredibly relevant for the Reformation. But now, thanks really to the work of a lot of Protestant scholars, very few people would today deny the authenticity of Ignatius's letters.
6: Wow, and then that course brings up the whole issue of uh, of the priesthood and the necessity of that. So it kind of, I could see it how it could be a, a pile of dominoes for them to, you know, for, for some. You know, I, I wanted to ask, you know, well, this yeah, question. That's exactly right, because if, if the Eucharist is a sacrifice, a sacrifice needs a priest.
7: Mm-hmm. And so yes. the that's idea true. of the Eucharist yeah. and the idea of the priesthood go together hand in glove.
6: Yes, you know, Joe. I mean, the, I wanted to ask this question as you did your research here. You know, we, we Catholics, or we maybe have not said, it, it, we've heard it said that if the Eucharist is just a symbol, then His death and His resurrection were just a symbol. That seems like a pretty strong connection, but uh, but that's ancient too, right? Can you explain that? It is.
7: So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Ignatius is pointing to the real presence. In response to the Gnostics. And they didn't just deny the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, they denied that it was really Christ's flesh in the Incarnation, or on the cross, or on Easter morning. Mm. You know, they didn't believe Jesus had actually come in the flesh. They were what's called Docetists. And uh, so in response to this, Ignatius points to the Eucharist. Well, how could we have the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist if, if this stuff isn't all true but the Incarnation and the Resurrection? And likewise, Saint Irenaeus, writing about 180, makes very much the same point. And he says, in response to the Gnostics, "Our opinion is in accord with the Eucharist, and the Eucharist establishes our opinion. That we, because we believe so strongly in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, we don't have to doubt the incarnation. We don't have to doubt the physical resurrection, or that Christ physically died on the cross." And so, it's really fascinating to read how these early Christians approach this, given the difference between then and now, because we would find that to be topsy-turvy, where they would find it to be topsy-turvy to believe that Christ really did come in the flesh, he really did live, die, and rise again, but he didn't really give us his body when he said he did.
6: Hmm. Wow, the Hmm. Gnosticism continues to, in our own time. We we are talking with Joe Heschmeyer, and his book is The Eucharist Is Really Jesus. Joe, I want to kind of get you to um, I was kind of reading up on some of the uh, background of of your book. And you say that this truth is a beginning to all things rather than an end and that it affects how we see the world. So in what ways can you pick up on that?
7: Yeah, I I give the example of the road to Emmaus. So if you remember the road to Emmaus, they're walking along, uh, two disciples. Jesus joins them. He explains the scriptures to them. And then they get to Emmaus. And so you go from this kind of liturgy of the word experience as they're walking along to liturgy of the Eucharist. And we're told that Jesus takes, bless, breaks, and gives the bread. And then he disappears from their sight. And when he does this very Eucharistic action, you know, it's the four verbs used in the institution of the Eucharist that we're told they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Well, the breaking of the bread is, is how Luke describes the early Christian Eucharist in Acts 2. And so we should read this as this very Eucharistic, very liturgical kind of moment. And then they, they go forth, but it's only after that's happened that the two disciples say to one another, we're not our hearts burning within us, mm-hmm. as he explains these right. things on the road. That only in the light of the Eucharist... Are they able to get all these scriptural truths that suddenly those lightbulb moments come? Well, likewise, in the book of Revelation, you've got the scroll with seven seals, and the only way to unlock those seals is through what? Well, the Lamb standing as though slain. That's a very Eucharistic image, that Christ has died, but he's also risen, and he's died in this sacrificial way as the Passover Lamb, that only once you understand Jesus that way, there's a a beautiful buildup where they say only the Lion of Judah can open. But what they see isn't a lion, but the lamb, and the slain lamb, but a slain lamb that is still nevertheless standing. And so it's this great series of paradoxes, that our Lord is both lion and lamb, that he's slain but standing, and that he's the victim and the priest of the sacrifice. Like, this is what's, once you get that, then these things that would otherwise be sealed,
6: it's like they're unlocked. Hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. I guess and then and obviously as we partake that in our own bodies, we have to see our own bodies, our own destiny in a very different and beautiful way, right, Joe? So uh, yes, before we run out of one time of, here, one of I, my oh, favorite things to explore. Mm. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. and we can. Yeah, I just want to make sure people know how they can get a copy of the book, uh, Joe. It's uh, the Eucharist is really Jesus. So, how can we you know, learn more and get, a, yeah. get a copy of
7: Any, it? anywhere good Catholic books are sold or Amazon. But I always send people to shop.catholic.com, which is the Catholic Answers website, because you can get bulk rates for really cheap. I think it's like twenty books for seventy dollars, which is like three dollars oh, and wow. fifty cents a book. Wow. That's so, yeah, great. Exactly. So If you've got a Bible study, you want to give it to your parish, or yeah. stock up the Adoration Chapel, whatever. Uh, there's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we're not trying to get rich off this. Indeed. We're going to get it into it. <laughs> That's
6: right. Wow. And Joe, thank you for all you do on Catholic Radio across the across the world. Appreciate you very much.
7: My pleasure. Thank well, you, guys. God bless you.
6: You bet stay with us if you've been enjoying our Catholic 101 series we're going to pick up on that with David Witten when we get back after the break it is 45 past the hour on wake up
5: 48 past the hour you're tuning your heart to the truth i'm David Dawson along with Gabby Smith and Johnny A Bear and you know we're go- we're just about to get to our next guest uh, Dr. David Witten but Gabby we got some gift uh, tickets to give away to the Fullness yes. of Truth conference that's coming up not this weekend but next weekend, November 4th and 5th. This is a national organization that put on puts on very, very powerful conferences. And this one is no exception. It's called the Eucharist and the Spiritual Life. And the whole thing is based on prayer. I've got a preview of the talks yesterday when I was talking to the to the folks in charge of this conference. It is pretty amazing. Matthew Landert, a very dynamic speaker. Uh, will be in town. We all know Dr. Brant Petrie. I mean, I'd go to a conference just for him alone. And uh, then we have Curtis Mitch. Curtis Mitch is uh, one of the, uh, he had done the majority of the Ignatian Study Bible. What we're talking about is three very powerful theologians who actually talk Uh, English (laughs) who actually speak uh, to folks like me and uh, teach us a lot of things that we did not know about our faith and then how to get closer to Christ in our faith. It's going to be based Mm -hmm. on prayer. It's going to be based on the challenges of prayer and it's going to be based on the Eucharist. So it is going to be amazing. Now the tickets that we're giving away are, uh, priority pass tickets. Okay. And so priority pass tickets, that includes priority seating. You're going to get a front row seat, uh, an exclusive lunch on Saturday with the speakers. You get to pick their brains while mm-hmm. you're having lunch with them. That is a gift right there. And then it also includes a, a giddy bag, a giddy, a goodie bag <laughs> at check-in. I don't know what a giddy bag is, but that'd be fun. And then, uh, giddy. yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, this is ad- admission for Saturday and Sunday, of course. And so, uh, 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 other meals aren't included, but these are these are pretty special things. So uh, we're giving two tickets away, Gabby. I think they should put in, I want the tickets, in the comment on Facebook. So jump on Facebook, check us out, and in the comment section, just say, I want the tickets, and you've got two tickets.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: very good Most
4: definitely wow. these are our last wow. tickets out of 10 so we've given away uh eight so far so go ahead and do that right now and i'm uh, looking forward to our next guest dave looking forward to this topic yes dr indeed. david whitten joins us a professor of theology over at franciscan missionaries of our lady university also known as fran you thank you for your patience dr whitten good morning
5: good morning how are y'all great long time no see He was just in our studios (laughs) a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about Mary. But today we're going to go in a different direction. Our Catholic 101 segment, we're going to be asking the question that I have heard this question asked a lot is what happens to babies who pass away before baptism, Dr. Whitten?
2: Great. Um, Yeah, it's a really thorny theological issue. the the short answer, I'll, I'll give you the longer answer in a second, but the short answer is we don't entirely know. Uh-huh. Um, so in 2007, uh, the Vatican uh, convened the International Theological Commission to actually um, deal with this question. Uh, and so uh, they wrote a, a long text, it's about 40, 50 pages, called The Hope of Salvation for Infants Who Die Without Being Baptized. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I'm going to sort of just give you the overview of, of what the, the, the Church has been thinking about this. Okay. There's so, bottom line, there's no uh, revelation in Scripture that says this. So, in that sense, we can't give a definitive answer, okay? Um, and so, they're, they're very clear about that. But there's two different positions that Scripture does give us that we have to reconcile. Um, one is the necessity of baptism for salvation. Jesus is just really clear about this, right? He commands us to go out and baptize, He says, you must be baptized, you must be born again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. Um, on the other hand, Right. We also have the idea that God wills the salvation of all. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the basic theological sort of logic of that is that since God is omnipotent, if God wills something, God can accomplish what God wills. Mm-hmm. Okay? So God so again, two things, God wills the salvation of all, and yet there's this necessity of baptism for salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of historically, uh, what has been said, like you see this in Augustine, is that no, a baby who's unbaptized because of necessity associate baptism, um, either goes to hell, uh, or something else. Uh, in the medieval period, they developed this idea of limbo, uh, though the International Theological Commission says that's really, there's no place for that either, um. So what they look at, then, is, is the larger story in, in Christian Scripture about God's mercy, right. about Jesus' relationship with little children, yeah. uh, and what they, what they really come across and say is that um, the, the surest way to salvation is to be baptized. Okay. Right, right. Um, and so, so this, and, and they, it's very clear at the very end, like, this is the way, mm-hmm. um, to use Mandalorian language. Um, <laughs> I like that, yeah. Right, this, this is the way, right? Yes, is, to, this is to, the way. Um, to, to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, and, and there's the, the title of it is The Hope. Okay. Yes. Is it Christians who have an account of God's grace? And uh, God's mercy. I mean, we know that while baptism is the normal way to be saved, that there are other ways that baptism, baptism will actually save us. There's the baptism of uh, of intention. intention. So somebody, right? So somebody who wants to be baptized, and let's say they're going on, the, they're driving their car to to be baptized, and they get ca- killed in a car accident. And they're they're considered to be saved. Yes. Um. There's the baptism of blood for martyrs who are who have been unbaptized, but but die uh, in the name of the church. So. Um, and, of course, the, the classic case is the thief on the cross, mm-hmm. right, uh, mm-hmm. who is saved right there with Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, you're, you're, I'll see you in heaven, okay? And clearly he didn't go through any kind of real, real baptism in the same way. So there are these sort of extreme cases where we know people can be saved without baptism.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, what, the, what the Church is teaching here or thinking about here is, you know, um, sure, sorry, one more example is uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Right, all well, the that's true. all yeah. the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so martyrs. we celebrate the, yeah. the, they're they're martyrs. They were, they were they were unbaptized infants who were killed right. uh, in the place of Jesus, and so we actually do celebrate that. So, in other words, there's sort of liturgical and theological uh, examples of how one can be saved without baptism, and again. The normal course of, of, of salvation is through baptism, so you, they, the Church never wants to, to take that away. Sure. Um, so, so, but what it says is that, the, is toward the very end, is that the Church entrusts unbaptized infants to the mercy of God. The mercy of God, is it, uh, it's manifest and, and, and made possible through the sacraments, but it's not limited by the sacraments.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That's that's um, a, yeah was an answer that I heard uh, in, in on Catholic Answers live one day is while man is bound by the sacraments God is not right right right
2: mm-hmm. so um, and so you know one of the ways of thinking about this is of course I mean think about a regular infant baptism um, it's that sense in which the Church gives the faith to the child the parents then are going to to raise up that that um, child in the faith what that ex- it, suggest, then, is that that the Church can have some sort of baptismal intent Mm -hmm. uh, for unbaptized infants, so that may be another sort of thing where we're going to pray for this child, Um, we, you know, a child who was born and maybe we didn't have time to baptize them, Um, you know, even there, the intent of the parents of the Church to do that, maybe they've been through the baptismal courses, Uh, all those things would suggest that there's a a path forward. Beautiful.
5: Beautiful. I mean, I, I I tell you because it's not what I learned as a child, and so this gives me right. such hope, and it makes so much more sense. So, uh, Doctor Witten, thanks. It's, it's thanks for this. Okay, yeah. you're welcome.
2: Mm-hmm. You're, you're welcome. It, it is a deep pastoral issue, and that's why the church took it up. Yeah, because um, there's so many people who aren't being baptized, so many children who aren't. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a really key key idea.
5: Absolutely. We're going to see you again really soon. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, back in studio again. But if not, either way, we'll be talking to you soon, Doctor Whidden. Thank you so great. much. Yes. Thank you. You'll right. Have a great mm-hmm. day. God bless. Thank you. Wow, y'all. Isn't that great? And, oh, hey, I, yeah. I see we got a winner. Her name is Susan. Thank you, Susan. You uh, mm-hmm. have the last two tickets, uh, premium tickets. Yes. So, Johnny? Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, let us go out
6: in prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we begin this day and venture into this broken world, let us remember that it was in your brokenness that you received your full glory and in our baptism... we die with you in order to share in your glory. For it is in the breaking of the bread that your life sustains us, leading us all that is true, beautiful, and holy. That is you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
5: Amen. Amen.
4: Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Have a wonderful Wednesday. God bless.
6: Make Up is a production
2: of Catholic Community Media.